0: We'll start off with just a big thank you to, uh, to those of you, many of you volunteered over uh, Christmas and New Year's and welcoming hundreds and hundreds of people, Christmas Eve, hundreds of people here through the, the four services into the night and online, and a number of people helping with the kids' ministry and helping with greeting and in other ways around the property. So thank you so much. And uh, big thank you to, uh, to Fernando and Kathy for preaching, uh, Kathy preaching on Christmas morning. Fernando on New Year's Day. Um, really appreciate you guys. you had a, you had a very busy season and, and I appreciate uh, appreciate you both Kathy and Fernando are licensed ministers in our denomination. So we're so used to seeing them in the kind of their normal roles that um, we remember too that they have training and uh, theological training and background and, um, and credentials and, and great to hear them bring God's word for us. So and it really helped me. Get a little bit of rest. Um, also, been I've also been pretty sick um, over these these last couple of weeks. Was having some kind of weird symptoms, and it turns out so I had gallstones in my bile duct, which was causing my liver to not function right and all kinds of problems. And but I, we figured it out. I had a little procedure this week, which re- removed those things from my body. Amazing what devices they can put in you and like pull things out and make you better. So I feel uh, a bit better, and I'm on the mend, and, and hopefully 100% real soon. So, uh, so it's good to be back, and thanks to everybody stepping in. Um, and now we begin a new season and a new sermon series. So this is, this is going to be fun. We're preaching through the book of Revelation, and we're going to do the whole book, all the dragons and beasts and wars and images and all the crazy stuff. If you've ever read the spectacular imagery, which is the book of Revelation. Um, but why are we doing this? Why now? Uh, part, of, part of it is I want to preach the whole word of God to you. I want us as a, as a spiritual family who value God's word to understand it, especially the parts that can be puzzling or confusing. And we've, as long as I've been here the last 20 years, we've never preached through the whole book of Revelation. So we, I would like to do that. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's kind of fun for me. To take on some of these trickier passages or ones that can be a little more mysterious and have a little fun with that. So I do enjoy it. So maybe there's a little selfish motivation, but um, we're going to preach it a number of years ago with Pastor David Midwood. And if you remember uh, Pastor David, he was a very convincing person. And, and he said, "JP, let's just stick to the first three chapters and preach through the seven letters to the churches, and let's do that." And we did, and we spent a number of weeks doing that. And he talked me out of the rest of the letter from preaching. So, I can, and actually, at that point, I was like, "Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Let's just kind of skip that other stuff because we don't want to, we don't want anything too controversial or weird, or just let's just let's just stick with the." It was real easier to preach. It was easier to preach. Um, but then I learned recently. Pastor Dan Hainer, who we know and love, he's a Revelation scholar. So, And I didn't know that when he started here, but I was talking to him about uh, his uh, seminary training, and he took a Revelation class with one of my favorite professors from seminary who I took uh, a number of years ago. And so he's an expert. And I said, okay, that moves it up the list for sure, because now Dan can help me, and then we can preach this. So that's kind of cool. And then the thing that clinched it it was about a year and a half ago, went on vacation to Hawaii, a little family reunion vacation, and it was a Sunday morning, and there was a little neighborhood church in our, where we were staying, in Kailua on Oahu, and I went, walked to church in my flip-flops, and I uh, plunked down with some family members, and they were preaching through the book of Revelation. 27 weeks, this church, this little neighborhood church, spent 27 weeks in Revelation. And it was Revelation chapter 20, the week we got, it was like week 26 or 25 or 26 of the series. And the pastor knocked it out of the park. I was so blessed at, at this preaching and how this church was handling this. And I said, you know what? We're going to do it. It's on, it's, it's on the list. We're going we're gonna to do that. So here we are, 2023. I was totally inspired to do this. And this is going to be a blessing for us as a church. This will be a blessing. Actually, verse 3 promises us that. Take a look at this, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So, Eric, you just read it aloud. Do you feel blessed from blessed to just even proclaim these words? Uh, blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, and take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. Because we live in a time, we live in an age where we do, we live after the resurrection of Jesus, God could have given us life you know, in the time of Moses or before that, but God has caused us to live here and now, and we need this message, and there's going to be blessing for us as we understand it and explore it. So it will be challenging, and it might be even puzzling at times, but it will be a blessing to us, especially as we take it to heart and live it out. So Happy New Year. We're going to jump right in. The book of Revelation, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We know that it's a gift to us. We know that it's a blessing to our lives because it shows us your heart and your way. And it shows us what is and what is to come. And so uh, we, with a lot of humility, approach this because um, your word is profound and your way is profound. But we know that you are a good, loving Father who will teach us and, and guide us and your spirit will counsel us as we journey together. So we do pray your blessing over this new season. We do pray it in the powerful name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. So what I want to do, I want to give a little background on the book of Revelation as a whole and then just take a, a kind of three snapshots out of this first chapter that show us a little something about Jesus that we can take with us into our week this week. But uh, the the background, so who wrote this? So The claim of the letter is that it's written by John. Uh, I believe that to be the Apostle John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who uh, wrote the Gospel and the letters of John. There's different theories about, uh, did John actually write this? Because this is a very different uh, use of Greek language, it's a very different type of writing. But I believe that it makes perfect sense that this is is the disciple John, so that's how I'm going to approach this. He's an old man. He's well into his 80s. So it's the year uh, probably 95 AD. And he is, he's an exile. He's living, he's essentially a prisoner who was cast off to this island, um, the island of Patmos. And so he, and he's, he, God shows him these things and commands him to write them down. But really, the author of this book is Jesus. In verse 1, you see that this is. From Jesus, this is divine authorship, like all of Scripture, uh, that we, we know that God used responsible human agents to, uh, to record things as they were prompted by God and His spirit. and so we, um, we, we know that really it's Jesus is, is ultimately the author of this. and it's written to these seven churches in Asia Minor, uh, modern modern day Turkey, and but really, like we, like we looked at in verse 3, it's for anyone who reads it and hears it and takes it to heart. It's, for, it's not just for these seven churches. In fact, there was more than seven churches in that region. Uh, there was probably more like ten churches that we know of. That, but specifically these seven churches, and you're going to see that, the, that John is, uses the number seven a lot. It's sort of a number of completion and perfection. So it's to these seven churches, yes, but it is, it's for God's church everywhere the same as we read the rest of the bible we read let's say uh, corinthians and we know that it was written to the church in corinth but we know it's written to us that god's truth endures across culture so it helps to know the situation of those early churches but also the sort of the universal meaning of it and there's um, power in god's word in that sense so the occasion of the writing of this is these are churches that were severely persecuted the early Christians, depending on who was the Roman emperor at the time, uh, great persecution against followers of Jesus started under Nero, continued under Domitian, who was uh, the emperor at the time of, of this writing. Christians were being imprisoned, they were being exiled, they were being martyred. It was a terrible time, but there was something about this writing, there was something about this book, that they took to heart that. Help them to stand firm. It, the church actually grew tremendously during this period of time. So, even with this kind of oppression against them and this kind of persecution, they were able to stand firm. There's something about the image of Jesus that we see in the book of Revelation that without it, we would be missing something. It, it, it kind of completes the, the picture in, kind of, in a really spectacular way so that we can stand firm. Verse 9, John says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Christ Jesus. He said, look, I'm in it with you. I'm I'm also, we're called to suffer, but we're called to be part of God's kingdom, and we're called to have patient endurance. And I love that that little phrase, patient endurance, because that's really all of our lives, life of faith. As we grow and we live, we realize that a lot of life is just being patient, that the things we want, or the things we want to accomplish, or the things we want to um, achieve in this world don't come quick or easy all the time, and, and certainly endurance becomes part of our life. We have to endure whatever we struggle with, whether it's a physical struggle, or a spiritual struggle, or emotional, or relational, or financial struggle or whatever it is that we we endure through the stuff of life and patient endurance becomes kind of a theme of life and a theme of of a life of faith even walking with the lord and yet patient endurance uh, carries us through as we put our faith in god this actually might be the theme of the whole book of revelation just patient endurance That'd be a good. Should have named the sermon series that one. Yeah, a little late, but um, patient endurance. Uh, we read this though, because what we have in the Book of Revelation is a very specific type of literature. It's a it's a it's a style of writing that was very popular just just before the time of Jesus, kind of in the time between the Old and New Testament, a couple hundred years before Jesus and about a hundred years after. That it was, it was a, a way of writing that was similar to prophetic writing, except it was, it was different in the sense that prophetic writing was, was very hopeful. Pro, the pro, let's say the Old Testament prophets. They would say things like, obey and serve God in this world. You know, if, if people would accept God in his way and be obedient to God's way, there'd be healing and peace and social justice in our land, and God would bring this healing. The apocalyptic writers, they were, they were much more fatalistic. They wouldn't say, God is bringing healing to this land. They would say, God is going to destroy this land. It's over. This is beyond fixing. Uh, there is, there's this age, and there's the age to come, and this age is a disaster, and the age to come is going to come and take over. And So there will be a golden age in, in God's kingdom, but it's a future thing that will just wipe out all the nonsense today. There's no hope of... You know, justice in our day. So the apocalyptic writers was much more catastrophic, much more fatalistic. But Revelation is actually, as apocalyptic writing, is actually probably a little more hopeful than that because of Jesus. Because it's written after Jesus' resurrection. So that John knew, as he's writing this, that Jesus' kingdom is a present reality and also this future, age-to-come reality, but both of those things live in tension. So there's, there are words of comfort and warning and rebuke. It's not quite as fatalistic as some of these other apocalyptic writings. But we need to remember that this apocalyptic kind of writing has a lot of symbolism. There's going to be a lot of intense images. And it's, 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 it can become confusing at times. Now, with all the symbolism and all these things, it's not a secret code to try to crack. That's going to give us like a real specific timeline of the end of the world. Uh, that's not the intent of this. This is actually an image of Jesus, and it's an image of things that are to be that will lead us to and motivate us towards faithfulness today, just as it did for the early readers of this book. So it's not a countdown clock, but it's a it's really a pastoral letter in a lot of ways to equip and to encourage these followers of Jesus in their challenging times. It's meant to reveal things. So the word revelation, the Greek word is basically apocalypse. But it's to reveal, it's to unveil something. Not to obscure truth, not to hide it, but to, to make it known. And so, But yeah, we are going to get a little stuck. There's going to be some things where I'll stand up here and say, yeah, I'm not quite sure what that means. Because some of the imagery is, is difficult. But it is meant to reveal about Jesus. So we're going to um, look at these symbols and visions and kind of look at the meaning behind them, see what it teaches us about God, not to get hung up on every little detail, but really follow the main flow of, of these different visions. And we're going to film with this. And so, so let's take a look. Right here, chapter 1. So let's look at chapter 1. Three things quickly here that we see about Jesus, how Jesus is central and described here, that you can see would would genuinely motivate someone who was in who needed to you know find this kind of patient endurance. So take a look at verse five. The first thing we see here is Jesus, the Savior. So it, John writes, "To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of." a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. This is an image of Jesus who loves us, who has freed us from our sins. And of course it says by his blood, pointing to the cross, where Jesus takes the punishment for our sin on himself and frees us from the way that sin uh, binds us. It, it separates us from God. It separates us from each other. It, it breaks relationships. It breaks our world. and and that creates a bondage, and Jesus just frees us from that bondage because of his sacrifice. And not only are we rescued from that, but we are now brought into a new way of living that has purpose, meaning, and value. What a great reminder to them. What a great reminder to us that your life has purpose, that your life has meaning to be God's servant in this world. That we don't just look at the brokenness of the world and get angry at leaders and politicians and curse all the darkness, but yet we're, we light a lamp in the darkness. That the image of these churches is a bunch of lamps that are scattered around and Jesus is at the center bringing light to a dark world. You know, what, and, and, you know New Year's is a great time for this reminder for us. Time of year where people are, maybe you've set some resolutions and some goals, it's also a time of year to remember the things you haven't accomplished yet in your life. The things you didn't finish last year, the things that, um, where you've fallen short, or maybe you haven't achieved or succeeded in the way that you thought you might at this point in your life. And yet you remember, no matter what I think I've achieved, I am loved. Christ died for me. He's given me a whole new purpose. That every day I can get up knowing that my life has value in his kingdom. That's a motivator. Jesus the Savior. The second thing we see here is Jesus unchanging. Verse 8 I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then in verse 17, Jesus takes this on himself. When I saw him, John says, I fell at my feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. The living one. I was dead and now look. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Jesus said, look, I am the first and the last. The alpha and the omega. The first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the beginning and the end. I am here. I have not... Changed no matter what happens in your life, no matter how chaotic your world looks around you, I am the risen Lord and I am in control. And God has never failed and he will not fail. This revelation, as we read through, it's just saturated with quote after quote after quote from the Old Testament, which is a great reminder that the God who was faithful to his people then is faithful to his people now. And we're gonna see this over and over. I have not changed, says God and you know someone said recently you know if it feels like god is is distant from you it's not because he's moved we we're the ones who turn and wander and are enticed by all the things of the world but he is the same yesterday today and forever and he's still accomplishing his purposes he said look i and and he's he's got total control Jesus this is the ultimate jailbreak ever where Jesus is where he dies and he goes to the realm of the dead and he's essentially imprisoned there but he breaks free from even death itself but on the way out he doesn't just leave death into resurrection life he stops and he takes the keys with him on the way out and he's standing there jingling the keys jingle 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 I I hold the keys to life and eternal life and death and heaven and all these things are in my hands. I took the keys and I hold them and I'm not going anywhere. It's, it's Jesus unchanging. And I think the challenge for us in that is to remember to get us back to the unchanging God and his unchanging gospel, his good news, that we go back to the things that nurtured our faith in the past, whether it rhythm, spiritual rhythms of prayer, and of meditation, of reflecting on God's word, of gathering with other believers, all those rhythms that drew us to him and his truth, he's still there. And we get back to those things and, and keep the unchanging Jesus at the center. So we see Jesus the Savior, Jesus unchanging, and thirdly, we see Jesus coming again, verse 7. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. It will be a, it will be a universal event. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Of course, and as we get further into this book, we're going to spend a good bit of time with this Jesus coming back to complete his kingdom work in this world and to make all things new. And uh, so we're going to always keep in mind that there is a, there is a future kingdom that is greater. Uh, I was in a conversation this week. It was an interesting conversation. There was somebody who was, I would say, just kind of worked up and talking about the second coming of Jesus and said, Pastor, it's coming, right? It's happening. It's going to happen soon, right? And I said, I don't know, maybe. And he said, no, it's going to happen. It's ha-. I said, yeah, I agree. It's going to happen. We don't know when. Um. But we are to be people who live such vigilant lives as if it's going to happen today, tomorrow, because we don't know. That again, we're not going to end up with this sort of strict chronology and timeline as we look through this book, not to disappoint you ahead of time, but, but we're going to see images of, of what this will be like, and we know it's happening, but we are, we are to live because we don't know how many days we have till he returns, and we don't know how many days we have until he takes us. Like I said, I've been pretty sick, really, the last month or so. And when you're talking to your doctor and you're having tests and numbers don't look good, that's pretty scary. It's like God, what's going on in my body? And am I really sick? Now, fortunately, it was very treatable, you know, kind of thing, and I'm, I'll be be great. But but we don't know what illness will befall us? We don't know what happened walking, driving down the street. Terrible story. Last week, New Year's Day, I was reading in the news, this woman was driving down 495, and a car coming in the north, on the northbound side, on the complete other side of the highway, had a a terrible accident, jumped, the, the car jumped the divider, and landed on the car. She had no, there was no chance. You're driving along, you're trying to be careful and be safe, Well, the cars around you, behind you and in front of you, you're not thinking of cars in the opposite lane. There was no maneuver that could have been done. And she was killed. And she was in her young 20s, early 20s, this young woman. And just a terrible story. And you think, life is so fragile that something like just a freak accident like that could happen. And I don't say that to be morbid or to frighten us, but to remember that we're not guaranteed tomorrow tomorrow. So whatever we face today, we just know that God has given you life today, that God has given you purpose today. That When you get up tomorrow, praise God, you got, up and you got another day and you can serve him and you can be part of his kingdom until we know it in its fullness or he takes us home through death and into eternal life. Um, but we're people who are to be vigilant. And that's the image of Jesus here. It's Jesus the Savior, Jesus unchanging, and Jesus coming again. In our putting him at the center of all things. So the question for us as a church is what is going to be the center of our life in 2023? What is going to be our motivation? What values will shape your life this year? Jesus is worthy of your worship. He's the one who has saved you. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is, He's the one who is coming back to complete all his saving work. He's the unchanging Lord of the universe, and he is worthy of our worship now and always. Let us pray. Father, we right now recommit ourselves to you. Whatever has enticed us away from you, whatever sin has um, distanced ourselves from you, Lord, we, we pray that we would turn from it and receive your forgiveness and walk with you. Father, whatever we've relied on in terms of our own wisdom instead of yours and walking in our way instead of your way, Lord, we repent of that. We we turn from it. We acknowledge your way. And as we acknowledge your way, we know, Lord, that you will direct our paths because you are such a good and loving God, the God who is spectacular and um, blazing light and glory all around you, and yet you put your hand on us and say, do not be afraid. And you guide us and you walk with us into this world, Lord. May we always be motivated by this or propel us towards a life of love and good deeds because you are empowering us to be your people in your kingdom. May it be, in Jesus' name, amen.